Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez, and we are continuing our fall previews. Eric, we had Tiffany Roberts Sahadak from the UCF women's soccer team uh, on last week to preview women's soccer. Now we're flipping over to the men's side, and head coach Scott Calabrese will be joining us here to preview the 2018 UCF men's soccer team. Eric Lopez, we soccer has always been an underrated sport at UCF, and Coach Calabrese came in. Last year, replacing Brian Cunningham, who's here for a long time, and got off to that rough start with that schedule. The weather canceled a bunch of games, including their home opener twice. They didn't play a home match until October the 4th. This is a season that starts in mid-August. But then once they hit their stride, they got hot. They won 10 games in total on the season, 10-6-2, and uh, and came within one goal, an overtime goal, in the American Athletic Conference Championship of making it to the NCAA after that uh, winning streak that they had. It was, I think it was, they were unbeaten in their last uh, seven matches to finish out the regular season and then made it to the conference championship game. Um, this starts a new year. You know, they lose their big goal scorer, Matias Puzolo, but um, you got to be thinking that they've got, that they, they, they might want, they're ready to strike while the iron's hot right now. I really do. And I felt, you know, I covered the team last year, even called one of the matches for the American Digital Network. And I thought UCF by the end of the year was an NCAA tournament team. The problem was they ran out of time because of yeah. the short seat. You know, the season ends in November. They started clicking in around October. I feel like if this season would have gone longer, they would have been an NCAA tournament team, a team that could do some damage. So I thought it was a successful year for Coach Calabrese in his first year. It's going to be interesting what he now going into a second season, a lot of the returning players now more comfortable with the system that he has put in in place. Uh, It's going to be very fascinating with a, a lot of home matches too and to see how they can build on the success they had at the end of last year. The, uh, the the fact that uh, now they're also getting a couple guys back in particular who were really helpful. Cal Jennings does come back, and he came on late last year, finished second on the team with seven goals. Um, and they had some, and, and and to be honest with you, they had some help with just everything sort of coming together at the right time for this team. Do you think they they can you know sort of catch lightning in a bottle again? Because you look at the schedule, they have ten home matches this year, three in a row, and one point in the non regular in the well, I call it the preseason, but the uh, three in a row in the non conference schedule, and then they have another six of their last eight at home to finish the regular season. Once we get into conference play, 
this season's shaping up to be a to be a bright spot for them again. Yeah, hopefully we don't get interrupted by Mother Nature. I so know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, thing. that was the Gosh. thing. They didn't have their first home match last year till October. It wasn't October planned the, that way. October the fourth. It wasn't planned that yeah. way, but because of uh, hurricanes and things like that, uh, that's kind of how it played out. So you hope that Mother Nature kind of works with you on the schedule, and they would actually get some games in early in the September at home and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I think it sets up. Uh, but there are questions as, you know, the goal scoring that Matias, he was a tremendous creator of offense, goal scoring. He was one of the best players. Maybe maybe goes down as one of the best players ever to wear that, you know, the, the jersey, right? It's been soccer history. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see how they replace him. If they can replace him, you don't replace a talent like that. But where does that, uh, the, the goal scoring, where does the playmaking now come you know where do you expect it to come from is it a group of guys right. is it certain you know so that's going to be fascinating to see plus some new faces that coming in from their incoming class how much do they contribute to this year so it's going to be interesting uh to see how they come out of the gates you know because last year as i mentioned because of mother nature not to make excuse but it was what it was you know it's not an excuse but it is a reason but it, it is when especially when you have a new head coach and he's putting in a new system and it takes time to kind of gel and i think that's kind of what happened last year uh so i'm very interested to see how uh, they come out this year all right, so uh, as we dive into 2018, we were able to catch up with head coach Scott Calabrese of UCF, and he gave us a preview of his team coming in. We talk about some other issues having to do in the game of uh, soccer at the college level, too, that I think you'll find interesting. So without further ado, here is our interview with head coach Scott Calabrese of UCF Men's Soccer. And joining us now, head coach of UCF Men's Soccer, heading into his second season at UCF, Scott Calabrese. Coach Scott, what's going on? How are you? Guys, how you doing? Good Thank to be you for Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. We appreciate you as always. And uh, and we'll start, you know, by looking at last year. You know, you guys finished the season 10-6-2. And, and what a wild roller coaster of a year, too. You finished 4-2-1 in the league. Um, yeah. the, the early part of the season with the home opener getting canceled about 50 different times <laughs> because of the weather. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't, play, you don't play a single home game until October. And then you rattle off this unbeaten streak uh, to end the regular season where you finish off uh, unbeaten in your last seven regular season matches, and you make it to the final in the American Athletic Conference Championship to fall short, just to fall short in overtime. Heartbreaking loss to what was really a remarkable season, but it it was really amazing to see you guys make that um, turnaround when you did from October on. So it's, something clicked. What was it that clicked for your team uh, when when October started? Well, it it, it was. Um, I I think ultimately that that it's part of this this process, this ongoing process. Um, we had a lot of new players. We had uh, we had some adversity where we we ultimately ended up on the road for two weeks with with a hurricane um another game got canceled for uh for weather uh against charlotte and and so we were we were constantly dealing with these setbacks even though in in the month of september we were playing very well but we were just struggling to get results and uh after a, a heartbreaking loss to smu um at smu where we played probably the best soccer we had played all year um, against a very talented SMU team that ultimately won our league and, and in the regular season won in playoffs and, and then went on a big run in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think the team believed 
through through this entire process, through going one five and one in September, I think the team believed we were good and that we could get results. And then when we got that first result, that first positive result, I think that kind of solidified it. And and we just kept going from there, and, and our confidence grew as a group. Um, it was it was shaken, but not shattered during September. And I think our confidence grew. I think the team became more connected, uh, both kind of socially and in terms of their personal relationships through this whole process. And, and then that manifested itself on the field with, with some great results. Uh, and, and we got momentum through that confidence and took it right to the end. I mean, we were probably 10 minutes away from going to the NCAA tournament because I, I feel like if we had gotten to penalty kicks, we, we would have been a, we, we would have been in a great position with, uh, with, the players we have and our goalkeeping to, to win that. So um, the big comeback, and I was proud of the guys for that, and now we want to try to build on that. Coach, I know I think I talked to you about this last year, and I've talked to other men's coaches in the in the in college soccer, and I know there's people that feel that the men's soccer should be a two semester sport when you consider the fact from a health standpoint, players recovery standpoint. And I felt like your team last year just kind of ran out of time. If it was like a normal two-semester, you probably would have been an NCAA tournament team. You just kind of ran out of time by the time you guys kind of started figuring out who you were. Uh, do you feel overall in the big picture as a sport, should men's soccer maybe go to be in a two-semester sport? Uh, that That is a great question. Um, I think there's no doubt that college soccer would be positively impacted by moving this sport into a two-semester sport, and, and for a number of reasons. The, the, the first one is, from a sports science standpoint and, and from what you're asking soccer players to do, they, they will run 10 to 13 kilometers in a match at, at all different speeds, changes of direction. Um, and I think when you, when you look at how long it takes to recover from that kind of work, it it takes about a week and uh, it's 96 hours to full recovery. And then um, ultimately you want to play. Basically you want to play on Saturday and then play the next Saturday. Um, but with the amount of games that we play, the only way for that to happen is to move it to two semesters um, and just limit the amount of games you're playing in each semester. And, and, and I think the bigger picture of where college soccer lies as a pathway to development for professional and international soccer in this country. Uh, I, I feel like college soccer, the coaches are crying out for this change. Um, they want it. The players have, have been polled about this change and they want it. Every sports scientist would tell you that this is the right thing to do. Um, and I, when you talk to the MLS and when you talk to the, people high up in U.S. soccer, they all think that this would make college soccer a more relevant developmental environment. Um, so I, I, I think the only thing that really needs to happen is, is that people in decision-making uh, positions also see that this is the right direction to go. And, and the ACC put forward a proposal to do this, a formal proposal with the NCA. There are other um, there's other conferences that have put these proposals forward and that they're being worked on, but it, I think it would make a major difference uh, for college soccer and for our team in particular and, and the way that we do things. I really feel like it would make a, a, 
big impact on on our program. And, and I agree with you. I, I feel like once we got rolling, um, we we were a really dangerous team and and could have continued to get good results. So we I agree. We ran out of time. It would have been great to have continued our season in the NCAA tournament. What do you think? Well, how long do you think it might take for for that schedule change to happen if it does happen? Like it's it, let, let me yeah. ask it, let me ask it this way: What's the percentage chance that it happens in the next five years? Um, I, I think the issue is that the decision makers have to believe in it. If I, I'll, I'll tell you this: If you polled college soccer coaches, it's probably nine out of ten want this change. If, wow. if you poll if you pulled the players, I would say it's probably eight out of ten would like to see this change. Um, and I think now, but those aren't the decision makers. Those those are the people that hopefully are being are influencers to the decision makers. So so now you're talking conference administrations need to be on board. Uh, the NCAA at higher levels needs to be on board. U- ultimately, what you're basically doing is, is you're replicating a model that exists with tennis. Uh, I feel like golf also has this model. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not a, it's not a completely foreign idea. Um, and, and so I, I feel like th- this is a, this is something that's been discussed. I would say it's over five years now. And, uh, and we, we are moving in a direction every year, where we're trying to apply more pressure or influence to get this change. So my, my hope is my hope is that this happens sooner rather than later, because ultimately what, what you're also finding is in the great, the kind of greater um, developmental pyramid, you're seeing kids now go from academy football, uh, soccer, sorry, uh, academy soccer, and they're bypassing college and they're going and they're playing for their MLS teams or an MLS USL team when when really if college soccer were structured differently I think that they would find college soccer to be the right path for them Um, and I think we want to remain a relevant developmental platform for those most elite youth players Uh, and and really the only way to do that and convince the MLS coaches and the U.S. national team coaches that, that we are the right pathway is to change this season. That that's their biggest um, criticism of our structure uh, of college soccer is the structure of our season. Yeah, I think that's I think that's correct because I mean the the, the complaints that you see you know at least now looking at it from the national team and on down to MLS is the the lack of an ability to develop players within this country and if the schedule changes for the NCAA I think you're absolutely right that would be um, tremendously beneficial to just the game in general um, here in in the United States so that's something we're going to keep a very close eye on as as time goes by let me ask you about your team coming into this year you know you lose um, Matias Puzolo and his 12 goals uh, from last year which was almost half your goal production um, yes. But you do return Cal Jennings, who was second on the team with seven goals and really came on late last year. So he's going to kind of fill into that that sort of that top goal scoring spot. Who do you expect yeah. to fill in behind him to pick up your goal production this year? Well, I, I think it's going to be other players producing more. 
and a group of players producing more. So I don't I don't know if it's going to be one player who's going to come in and he's going to be the next 12 goal scorer. But I think we have a uh, Hatabu who plays on the left hand side. Uh, he he played every game, big minutes in every game, and it was very dangerous last year. Created a lot, but wasn't as productive as he as he could be. And and I'm I'm thinking that he will be this year. So yeah, you, you have Hata, you have Gorka Parabe, who has had exceptional springs with with our team, and now we're looking for him to transition now in a fall. Uh, and he's more than capable of of scoring goals. Incredibly talented, Orlando City youth product, um, and I feel like he can step up and help. And, and, and then you're looking for Walker Dawkins. So Walker was a big part of this program two years ago, first day of preseason as an injury last season. And uh, so he had to sit out basically the entire year. And so now you're looking at Walker who can come in and, and create and score goals and, and help set other players up. So I, I think when you look at it, you're looking for each player to contribute a little bit more. And when, when you say, okay, 12 goals seems like a lot, and it is for one individual, but if, if Hopta is scoring five, six goals this year, uh, Walker's chipping in four or five goals this year, um, Cal's got the same or better production. Gorka, you know, has seven to 10 goals as a striker. Um, then you have some other players, Noah Murphy, um, who can absolutely score goals if he is chipping in, then, then you get those 12 goals back. Uh, and I think that's really got to be our, our outlook. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give him a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407 407- 7909957 or visit on the web at wesellorlando.net again that's wesellorlando.net you can also reach them on facebook at facebook.com/wesellorlando get in touch with the unger real estate group today and make finding your dream home a reality Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. 
Coach, I'm curious. Do you feel you're even maybe more ahead of schedule than maybe you thought you would be at this point? Uh, you're entering your second season at UCF when you first took over this job? Because, uh, you know, the job's open. You don't know what you're getting yourself into sometimes. Do you, do you feel like you're maybe even ahead of schedule where you thought you'd be, or do you think you're right where you thought you would be right now going into your second season with this program? Um, yeah. I, I feel like there's, there's results, and then there's kind of what you see day to day and, and – how you're how you're playing um i feel like we're we we had some very good results going down that stretch so to finish second in the conference last year and and to be basically you know right in contention in the final match um to have a chance to win a championship yeah that that happened quick um to put ourselves in that competitive situation um but in terms of how we are playing and how we're performing i feel like that was where we wanted to be. Um, and I feel like that's where we should be. Uh, I feel like UCF from a, as an institution, as an athletic department, as a soccer program, this is a really desirable place to recruit to. Uh, and I feel like there are high level players domestically and internationally that, that they, they want to be here. And, and, and when you go and you recruit them, they get very excited about the possibility of being here. And I, I felt that when I, um, when I took the job, um, so I feel like we are, we are where we need to be. Um, and you know, we, with the success of last season, especially the second half of last season, we want to build on that and that, that in itself creates an expectation, um, and hopefully creates that same expectation for our players that they want to return, do that and better because we came close, but we didn't win a championship. And hopefully, you know, for me, that makes me more hungry that we, we, we leave nothing on the table moving forward into into this season and i think the players i i i'll tell you i feel like they feel the same way too they're they're hungry you know you talked about recruiting and i think you're right that the message has gotten out because uh you you guys just announced your signing class seven new players coming in four of them uh on the on the defensive end on the back line plus a new go- plus a goalkeeper in Matt Douglas who's from Tampa yeah. uh but uh six of those seven are from outside the United States so um they're all listed as freshmen but what what do you expect from some of these younger players are you expecting them to contribute a little bit more than maybe a freshman normally would well i i feel like last year's class was an older group so in that first class we got players who you know maybe had a gap year uh, graduated high school had a gap year and, and and then ended up coming over so you had some older players i think this group's a little bit younger um this is more of a traditional freshman class um with a one or two older players uh i think the tran- there's a transition period for whether it's domestic players or international players, they all go through different elements of transition, whether it be language, whether it be playing style, getting connected with, you know, what is college soccer? Why are we playing on Saturday and Tuesday? (laughs) Um, There's, you know, uh, the substitution rule. So they come off the field and they're like, wait, I can go back in. This is, this is different. Um, (laughs) So I think that there's always a transition period. So I don't want to put, too much pressure on any one of those uh, young men that they have to come in and perform right away. We have a very solid team of individuals who who are here 
Um, and then my hope is that these players, um, and, and I believe that they are the right people and, and the right players to, where they can challenge the group that's here uh, for roles within the team, whether it be a starting role, whether it be coming off the bench and, and giving us quality and depth, uh, because I think that's important in college soccer where it's a little different um, when you're playing one game a week where you really have to have players that can come in and do a job in your Tuesday game. Um, so I, I, I feel like this group has a lot of experience. Um, the international, the international players come from high level environments, and, uh, I think they will make a contribution right away, but until, until we roll the balls out and start playing, it's hard for me to say to what degree. How do you feel about your back line and, and the goal? You know, Jeff mentioned about the goals and, and all that, but obviously, as you know, it starts on yeah. defense. And I thought your team was strong defensively towards the end of the year and was able to win some matches, I think, through the, of the UConn win, the Temple win. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about your defense? And you've got experience coming back because you had some adversity last year. You had to deal with some injuries on the backside, and, and you were able to figure yeah. that out. How do you feel this year? Well, I think, I think when you look at the recruiting class, this incoming recruiting class, I think it addresses – that need for depth in the back line. Um, and so I think that's a real positive is that if, whereas in other parts of the team, if there was an injury, we had players that could step right in. I, I feel like we were a bit thin at the back in terms of depth. And so now I feel like that that's been addressed. Um, I feel like the big difference in the first half of the season and the second half of the season was how we defended set pieces. And when, when you look at the goals we conceded, we actually didn't concede that many overall in the season, um, but we, we conceded probably 60 to 70% of those goals were mistakes in defending set pieces. Um, and so from the get-go, I feel like we need to make sure we have a group that's on the field that can deal with direct play, because a lot of teams that – Really, their main form of attack is, is basically to play it long, win second balls, and then to try to play off those second balls. So we have to be able to deal with that. Um, and then to be able to defend set pieces and defend them really well. And, and ideally, we're scoring goals on set pieces. And I think you saw that in the World Cup. There was a major trend in the World Cup where set pieces defined a lot of these teams. Right. Uh, and so for us, we need, to be, we need to be really good in defending set pieces um, and I think because of how much we value possession, uh, that usually means that we don't defend as much. Um, so if we have the ball 70% of the time and we're playing in the other opponent's half of the field um, far away from our goal, when the ball turns over, it's not, so, not quite so dangerous. They have a long way to go um, to get into a position to really make it a, a dangerous situation for us. So. Part of, part of our philosophy is that our, our defending is we need to do it really well, but ideally we don't do it nearly as much as we do possession and attacking. You know, we look at the uh, schedule that you have coming up after the first two exhibition matches. You, you know, you start off with yeah. Penn State on Friday, August the 24th uh, up in Happy Valley. Then you're home for four in a row, including some really good opponents. UC Irvine coming into town, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, yeah. on the road again uh, for three. And then you finish with six of your last eight at home. So that's that, that's got to provide you with a tremendous advantage, especially as you head down the stretch in conference play, no? 
Well, we, that's that's something that we wanted to really make a, a concerted effort to increase the amount of home games that that we had. That that was by design, uh, and we were fortunate we were able to schedule that way. Last year, we did not lose a home game. Um, we have been very successful at home historically as a program you, prior, prior to me being here. Um, and so I think this is, when you look at RPI and how the RPI is calculated, there's not a real, um, you, you don't get pinged for playing at home versus going on the road. There's no major, major swing in terms of RPI points. So if we can get teams down here, play them, play them in our venue in front of our fans, create a great environment for our fans, um, then we feel like we're putting ourselves in a really good position to, um, to win games and, and make a case for ourselves to be uh, a top team in college soccer. Coach, uh, what was your thoughts going through the American Conference in the first year, now entering into the second year? I mean, it was dramatic going down to the final day of the season. We didn't know who were going to be the four teams into the the conference tournament. We didn't know who was going to win the regular season title. And then you obviously we discussed how the postseason, the conference tournament, was dramatic. Your thoughts on this league? We know every SMU's good every year. USF's good. Uh, Temple's good. Just Connecticut. Your thoughts on the league? Uh, having gone through it for the first year and what you expect uh, this year? Well, I, th- I think the lead is the league is super competitive, um, and literally on the last day, as you said. We could have finished fifth and missed the tournament if we didn't win, uh, or second, which which ultimately ended up happening. So the parity in the league is um, it's it, it, it's a difficult league. Uh, I think when you look at the league, there's some historically strong programs. You know, SMU SMU had 17 wins last year. Uh, UConn UConn's won national championships in soccer, and uh, they. They operate and recruit and, and do everything at an incredibly high level. Uh, USF has historically been uh, an NCAA program and a top program. Uh, I, I feel like the league has gotten better as well. Temple recently hired a new coach who I know is going to do an excellent job. Tulsa is an NCAA tournament team. So, so the, the, the league's difficult. The league is, league is really, really difficult. Um, the travel's hard, too. It's not like these are all bus trips right around the corner. This is, this is you, you've got to get on a plane, and, and travel's not easy. And uh, winning on the road's important. And when you go and you win on the road in this league, you've, you've done something to put yourself in a great position. I, I think the league itself recognized the parity, and so they've expanded the playoffs to six teams. So I think there's a... Uh, last year, USF was left out of the playoffs, and UFF, USF was a was a good team. Yeah. Um, so now I feel like the playoff picture just expanded because the quality of this league has expanded, um, and and so every year it's a dogfight, and uh, so we're you know we're we're excited about it. The, the league is obviously a big priority for us in, in terms of our goals and, and being able to compete for a regular season and a, and a playoff championship is, you know, those are both important goals for us. Well, here's to that. I know that's, uh, it's, it's coming right around the corner. Now, uh, your first exhibition game is one week and one day from today. We're recording this on Friday, August wow. the 3rd. Yeah. Eastern. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to remind you of that coach. <laughs> 
that's a that's a sobering thought. Yeah, you know uh, Jeff likes to spare these news to yeah, coaches. He did the same thing I to Coach Sahadak last week. Yeah, so I, don't I hate feel to bad. be the bearer of bad news. Tiffany will tell you all about that. But um, uh, Eastern Florida Saturday, August the 11th at the UCF Soccer Complex at 7 p.m. The regular season gets underway at Penn State Friday, August 24th. First home regular season game, Monday, August the 27th against California, Irvine. That's at 7 p.m. Coach, before we let you go, uh, any last thoughts? And uh, uh, how can uh, fans stay abreast of what's going on with UCF men's soccer this year? Well, well, absolutely. You know, we're we're excited that we've got this many home games, uh, 10 home games on our slate for this year. So we... We hope that the fans will turn out. I, I think they'll be excited with the style of play, the attacking-minded style of play. Um, you know, we would love to see them come out to the games. Definitely follow us on Twitter and and uh, and and make sure uh, ultimately that that we get a chance to see it and and hopefully we produce a great product for them this year. UCF underscore M Soccer on Twitter. Head coach Scott Calabrese of UCF Men's Soccer. Coach, thank you once again for uh, your time and your insight. And uh, best of luck. We'll be seeing you uh, for that first home match, uh, definitely for that first home match in the regular season against UC Irvine. Thanks again, Coach. All right, guys, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Coach Calabrese. Thanks also to Kelly Cartner from uh, UCF for helping us out, set this up, and uh, getting this done. All right, so some interesting things there, and I was really interested in the conversation that we had about the the soccer schedule yep. in particular. Uh, and Coach Calabrese was very passionate about that. Tiffany Roberts, the head of UCF Women's Soccer, also discussed that with us, and you can hear that on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast as well. But um, it sounds like there is a there is a lot of momentum for that schedule change to a two-semester sport. I hope it happens. What do you think, though? Do you think it'll happen? Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, not to go big picture on this, right? We just came off a World Cup yep. where the United States failed to qualify. Failed to qualify, right. And I think a part of the reason that the issue that the United States are having, why they're not at the top of the, the you know, in soccer, is of college soccer. Look at the U.S. women's soccer team. They're the best in the world. Why? Because women's college soccer is the best. It's tremendous. They yeah. provide tremendous talent uh, development. I mean, Coach Hadak, for example, was on the right. 99 U.S. team we talked about in, the, in that episode. She played in North Carolina, which is one of the top soccer programs in the, in, in the country, in right. the world, really. Right, and it's important to remember this, too, is that the soccer calendar everywhere else in the world yeah. is – from the fall through the winter and into the spring, and then the summers for the international play, except in the United States in MLS, which is a summer league. Now, the reason they do that is because the American sports calendar is pretty crowded from from the fall through the spring because of football in the first part and then the end of you know basketball and hockey uh, in, in the latter part. But college soccer in the United States can follow that schedule. And that's where I think you're right, and Coach Calabrese is right. That can that can make college soccer the primary breeding ground in the United States for talent in the sport. Well, look at the MLS. Right. A lot of the guys drafted in the MLS draft is through college soccer guys. Well, I don't think they're developing. A lot of UCF guys, too. Well, and think about some of the UCF guys that have gone on to do well. They were only here, were at UCF for a cup of coffee. Sean Johnson, who's had a very good career in the MLS with the Chicago Fire, and he's currently now in New York City FC. Uh, he's been, have, you know, he's kind of on the cusp of the U.S. national team. I think he was at UCF for like a year or two years, you know, because it's quick. He and was. Before, and before you know it, they're gone, and they're maybe not as developed 
as they would be if they were a two-semester sport. So I think this is a bigger issue in the men's sport than the women. I think Coach Sahedic kind of said it. The women, it's kind of fine. I don't think they have to go to a two-semester sport. I mean, their, their system's doing well. The development's going well. The men's side, I think, is where that could be, uh, I think, a big plus, not only to college soccer, not only to soccer programs in the collegiate level, but I think to professional in the MLS. It could help the MLS get better players coming into their league, which makes their league better. Yeah. And in return, I think it helps the United States. And I know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm focusing on the United States, but obviously there's players that play all over the world. But I focus on the U.S. because obviously – that's where we're trying to figure out how to make U.S. soccer better internationally in international events, and I think developing players within is critical. And I think if college, men's college soccer is a two-semester sport, it could be a better developmental uh, for players to go and be more encouraged. Hey, I'm going to go to college soccer, and I can play for a full two semesters and play a couple years, and that'll get me maybe to the MLS if that's my goal and maybe help me get to a national team, whether I'm U.S. national team or a Canadian national team or whatever it is. And I think So I think there's a, a lot of layers to this as we've tried to figure out how to fix U.S. soccer. I think men's college soccer could be par- part of the solution if – they do some things on their own. I think that's where Coach Calabrese right. is coming from. Well, I think he's right. Not to I, mention, obviously, the health of players. That's true. That's the other thing that he emphasized, too, is that you know, when you're playing two games within 48 to 72 hours, that's just absolutely brutal. The they don't do risk, it anywhere else. The injury risk goes up so tremendously, and we ask a lot of our college soccer players you know, in, in doing that, and I do think that spreading the schedule out so that they play one game week, I think, is the best beneficial way for um, for these players to actually do it. So uh, once again, to recap, UCF men's soccer, UCF underscore M soccer on Twitter. They start their uh, 2018 season with an exhibition match against Eastern Florida, Saturday, August 11th at the UCF soccer complex at 7 p.m. Uh, they start the regular season on the road Friday, Friday, August 24th at Penn State. That's a 7 p.m. start there. The home regular season schedule begins Monday, August 27th against UC Irvine at 7 p.m. Uh, and if you want to circle your calendar, Virginia Tech's coming to town Sunday, September 2nd. Friday, September 7th, right after that, they got West Virginia coming in, playing Stetson at DeLand, so that's a little road game that you can circle on the schedule as well. Home opponents in in, uh, conference schedule include SMU, the best team in the conference coming in, Jacksonville, UConn, Florida Gulf Coast, and USF on Saturday, October 20th, not to mention Cincinnati to wrap up the regular season. On Friday, November 2nd, again, UCF underscore M soccer on Twitter for all the latest. Thanks to Coach Calabrese once again. Thanks to Kelly Cartner from UCF Athletics for helping us out. Thanks to you, Eric. This is a blast, baby. Let's go. Season's right. getting underway. Let's do it. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Uh, and don't forget Brian Murphy as well, Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. For all of us, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.